There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A roadrunner that rumbles. A brother who's missed. An uncle who's never been met. The past, the future, and the search for one car that will bring it all together. This week on Tempest, powered by Jalopnik. I'm David Obachowski, and welcome to Tempest, a series that explores our hilarious, heartbreaking, and complicated relationships with cars. This episode of Tempest starts with a Craigslist search. It's something I do when I need a mental break. And what do I search for? My favorite cars, of course. Top of the list? 1972 Roadrunners, though I'm partial to most any Mopar from about 1968 to 1974. Where I live in Boulder County, Colorado, I don't find a ton of listings, so I tend to expand my search out to where I used to live in New York, out to the opposite coast, to Portland, Oregon. What can I say? I like to delude myself into thinking I'll be picking up groceries in a Super B. Anyways, it was during one of those West Coast searches for Mopars when I came across an ad for a 74 Roadrunner in Vancouver, Washington. Only, it wasn't a for sale ad, it was a want ad. The poster was trying to track down a specific 74 Roadrunner that used to be in his family. It also included a URL, lost1974roadrunner.com. I clicked over to it. A few more pictures, a little more information, but not much. I obviously didn't have the car, so I closed the page. Over the next few weeks and months, I kept running into those posts, searching for information on that long-lost Plymouth. And the more I saw them, the more I wondered if maybe there wasn't a story there. A few months later, I stopped wondering and decided to find out. I headed out to Vancouver, Washington. I didn't think that dog would bark. <laughs> Hi. Hello. How are Hi. you? Good. How are you doing? Good. That person who you just heard speaking? My name's Lonnie Hess. She's Jason Godsell's mother. Jason is the guy who posted the ad looking for the 74 Roadrunner. I spent a lot of time at Lonnie's house with both her and her son, and Lonnie is an important character. But first, I want you to meet Jason. After all, he's the guy who's spearheading this search. You know, when I grew up, that was our car. We had we had this Roadrunner and we had a, uh, well, my dad always had a bunch of different cars, but we had the Roadrunner probably longer than any other car. And Jason is a car guy. No, wait, that's an understatement. Writing for Jalopnik and doing this podcast, I meet a lot of people who love cars. And while it's not a contest, I can tell you that Jason might be the most car-obsessed person I've ever met. I've had 50, 57 cars, a lot of road, or, uh, Chevelles, Corvettes, Camaros, one Roadrunner, out of 70. Jason makes a living from his business, Exotica Motorsports, which sells high-end aftermarket parts for performance vehicles. That he's such a car guy is the neatest, simplest answer as to why he's trying to find the Roadrunner. But it's also, as I will come to find out, the wrong answer. The real reason he's searching for this car is because he's searching for his past while he simultaneously searches for his future. And let's talk about his future for a second. You see, Jason is the founder of Godsell Motorcars, which hopes to take the automotive world by storm with its upcoming supercar concept, the Godsell Manhattan. He took me on a drive around Vancouver in his Dodge Viper GTS and told me a bit about it. And then my concept car is, uh, 
It's an 850 cubic inch V16. An 850 cubic inch V16. And Jason hastens to add that it's what he considers a true V16, something he says the world hasn't seen in a very long time. Uh, but nobody's tried it since 1940. There's been a couple of companies, you know, people will say, well, the, you know, there was a 90 supercar with a V16, and that's the way they were marketed, but they were actually two Lamborghini V8s bolted on either side of a transaxle. So in that aspect, it was two separate V8s, so that didn't really count. Um, but in 03, Cadillac did a concept car with a V16, and then Rolls-Royce around the same time had a V16 concept car. And so I went to the, com- the, the company and the, and the guy that actually helped create that V16, and he's helping me build my V16. So it's being done right with the only guy since 1940. The Godsell Motor Cars Company is no hobby for Jason. It's truly his life's ambition. And the dream is not just to see the concept car come to fruition, but to actually start what Jason calls the next great American car company. And as he's learning, that's no small feat. You know, it's kind of frustrating. You see the the concept electric car or something that comes out, and, well, they started two years ago, and here they already got a concept car. Maybe they came from money. Maybe they knew somebody with money. And, you know, it's a little frustrating to see that, but I don't give up on, on my vision and keep moving forward. And hopefully one day we'll be an all-American car company that's rivaling Rolls-Royce and Bentley and Bugatti and and, uh, car companies like that. And he certainly got his mother's support. I wish that a, instead of being Chevrolet, Ford, all that stuff, you could get one that's never been heard of before and be somebody that came from no money. And that's just the issue, money. Where Jason has had luck finding American engineers to help him design the Manhattan, he struggled with American dollars. Uh, I've got more interest from overseas investors, which I really hate to do uh, because I want it to be all American. But yet on the flip side, if nobody here is willing to step up and do something, it's kind of like, well, then what, you know, what's your alternative? Remember, Jason is a guy who wants to make an 850 cubic inch V16, you know, twice the size and cylinders of an already gargantuan big block. But that old roadrunner he's looking for, it didn't have a massive engine. And, in fact, for a guy who's become obsessed with finding a Plymouth, I'm surprised to learn he's not even a Mopar guy. Yeah, 74 Roadrunner's not my favorite. Um, and I've had Chevelles and Roadrunner, or um, uh, Corvettes and Camaros and stuff. So if it were any other car, I would just go buy a Camaro or a Chevelle or something. But He's drawn to it because of his history. Well, when I asked my dad, you know, what, what, what car was the one that really started it all? What was the first car I ever rode in? And when he said it was the, the Roadrunner, then it changed. Then it was, you know, I remember that car when we were growing up and it was my uncle's car who, you know, I never met him. Um, of course, you hear all the stories and everything growing up about him, but it was kind of that car started everything for me. So when he said that was the first car you ever rode in, all right, now I got to go find it. And that's when I you know, created a quick website and threw it on the internet and uh, started putting the Craigslist ads out, which is what you saw. But hang on a second. While this 74 Roadrunner isn't Jason's favorite car, it is Lonnie's. As Jason mentioned, the Roadrunner was his uncle's, and we'll get to that. But know that for most of the time the car was in the family's, it was Lonnie's car. And she drove the Roadrunner every day for 10 years. To Lonnie, this Plymouth was the peak, the pinnacle, positively the best car there ever was. Oh my goodness, it was awesome. I mean, I had people coming up to me 
I worked at Safeway and they'd come up to me and go, oh, you're the one with that cool car that makes all that noise. I just love that. So it, it was awesome. It was awesome. She gave it up more than 30 years ago, but when I ask her if she still remembers it, well, she's not ambiguous. How well do you remember the Roadrunner? Oh, that was my coolest car. There was the sound. That car was, I don't know, it had glass, what they call glass packs. And you go down a hill and it would just rumble your insides. It would just like, it was, I don't know what they call it when you do that. There was the looks. I, I know you love those glass packs. Mm-hmm. I know you like the sound, but definitely maybe, maybe aesthetic. I like the red, uh, the, well, I don't know what they call them. The stripes. stripes yeah. yeah, I always liked the hood. To me, it was cool because it had holes kind of in it and stuff. But yeah, the hood was a nice design. Yeah, and I love the stripes. The beautiful paint. I love the silver and the red. I can't get over the looks. <laughs> there was the speed. You know, I got up to 100 miles an hour in this car on the freeway. But did she mention that sound? It just rumbled, and it just was so... So just that car only. You can't get that sound out of any other car, I swear. (laughs) Nothing will ever beat the sound, and that's something that Jason knows all too well, having owned 57 cars, many of which were more powerful than that 74 Roadrunner. I don't care what car I build, whether it's the Viper in the driveway or I built a 66 Biscayne a couple years back, and it was a 11 and a quarter to one 454 700 lift cam, you know, three inch Flowmasters. And my mom's like, Yeah, it's cool, but you know, that Roadrunner really rumbled going yeah, down the probably. hill. And I'm just like, Yeah, it was, but not, yeah, not, 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 not cool. like this. It was a 383 big block, but not as cool not- as a 318 <laughs> two barrel three speed car. See, this is what I deal with. The, what do you think of the Viper? Eh, it's cool, but you know, that's 74. But right. nothing, nothing can compare to the sound of that car. Yeah. I know people said, well, it was only like a 318 or something. I don't care about the motor. But Lonnie gave up the car. It was a simple matter of economics. She was divorced with children and money was extremely tight. Something broke on the Roadrunner. Some part probably that I couldn't afford. And then I had to sell it, which was very hard on me to do. So I regret that to this day. The reason she regrets it, though, has less to do with the rumble and far more to do with her brother, Jason's uncle. When we come back, we meet the young man who brought the Roadrunner into the family. Back at Lonnie's house, Jason led me to the kitchen table where there was a large wooden trunk. So we were going through some stuff last night. Lonnie hung back in the living room, just observing it first. We've got some, you know, high school yearbook and um, letterman's jackets and stuff like that. And then the pictures of the Roadrunner. And articles of when he was in track and some of his high school stuff, and then gra- a lot of graduation cards. These things look brand new. Crazy. So he graduated in 74. 
Not just happy mementos, the box contained other memories too. Um, and then getting into some of the cards from his funeral. Well, this was, this was the watch he was wearing in the accident. Um, still shows the 31st for July 31st of well, 1976. Yeah. Pictures of the accident uh, happened about what, 15 miles from, from where we all still live. All the family still lives in this area. So his birthday is May 24th. He had just turned 20. He died July 31st of 76. You know, I never met him. That's because he died about four months before Jason was born. David is my younger brother. He was 11 months younger than me. So we spent a lot of time together. We lived together after high school and and, uh, we were good, good friends. I lost my best friend when he died. And remember, He's the reason why the Roadrunner even came into the family in the first place. Um, David found this Roadrunner up at a used car dealership uh, here in Vancouver. And he ended up buying it, thought it was the coolest car ever. (laughs) And uh, so he had it about, well, he had it seven, almost eight months before he was killed. David's death is both tragic and also a little mysterious. It's complicated, but it's something they think about a lot. And it's something they want to tell me about. Um, my husband was working graveyard, and so we had covered the phone with a, you know, back then you didn't have cell phones, <laughs> so you just had the home phones, and we had covered it with a towel so it wouldn't wake him up. And the phone kept ringing and ringing and ringing, and I answered it finally, and my sister just said, "David's dead," and it was like, I, I just got on the floor and like, no, 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 because. I just talked to him. That can't be. You cannot. It it can't be. To this day, I'll never forget that phone call. Never. Details surrounding David's death are somewhat scarce. It was a freak accident. And to this day, we still don't know exactly how it happened. David was driving a tar truck at the time, but there wasn't a collision. Here's what they think happened. We were told that he was going down the street... Another car was coming at him in the right, in the the correct lane, and a car tried to go in between them, which made David veer off to the um, side, and then he got caught in the gravel and it turned it over. I think what happened, because I had always heard growing up that the seatbelt stuck. Yeah. I don't think the seatbelt stuck. I think because he was hanging off of it and you had that pressure on the latch, it wasn't unlatched. He couldn't get it. Yeah. So, um, and then hauling that, it, it caught on fire, and then the t- with the tar in it, it just, he didn't make it. The newspapers reported that he died instantly, but the family doesn't think so. He didn't die instantly, like they said. Forty years after the accident, Jason's wife, Mariah Godsell, was at work, the same place she works now, a bank. A customer needed assistance with his account, and so they sat down together at a desk. The two made small talk, and as Mariah says... As with everything in my life, things turned to cars, so I asked him what he was doing that weekend, and he said car show or something, and... On the topic of cars, she brought up how her husband was searching for a long-lost 74 Roadrunner that had once belonged to his uncle. I normally don't say how he died. I said he was killed in a tar truck, and the guy stopped, and he looked at me, and he said, I helped try to save a guy that was killed um, in a tar truck accident. Uh, It had been 41 years that month. Um, He was there trying to help get his uncle 
out of the car and just by some chance, I ended up being the one to sit down with the guy. I wasn't even supposed to help on the desk that day. Um, And we figured out that he was the guy that helped try to save his uncle's life. That man told Mariah things that he saw and heard that she in turn has only shared with Jason. The two won't speak about it to me or to anyone else. They'd be simply too difficult for the family to hear. Even for the man himself, he's haunted by what had happened that day. He's careful about what he goes into because he said, I try not to remember that day. It was pretty traumatic um, for everybody because they all had to to back away um, because the truck caught on fire. And so they weren't able to get him out. That guy had a real hard time. Very hard time. He did come to my parents' house that night and talked to my parents, and that was the last time we've ever talked to him. And though the man told Mariah he does not wish to be sought out by the family, he does not want to relive those memories, Lonnie does have a message for him. I would love to tell him thank you for trying and try to take away the pain that he had to see. You know, we've had to live with it, but we didn't have to see it, thank God. So, David's death and the circumstances surrounding it are both heartbreaking and a little mysterious. But there's one other very strange thing that happened as a result of it. And that's another weird story, yeah. At the time of David's death, David and Lonnie's mother was undergoing aggressive chemotherapy and radiation for brain cancer. And so when David died, then um, she just gave up on life. Even though you have six other kids, you don't want to live anymore. You don't want to live anymore after you've lost a child. So she quit the chemo and she quit the radiation. But then... And then she got better because uh-huh. she never needed it to begin with. It wasn't a cancerous tumor in her brainstem. It was merely just a birth defect, a harmless mass. The radiation and chemo were literally killing her. But David, I feel sometimes there's good things that come out of something bad. And I think maybe him dying, you know, brought my mom back. And she lived another 30 years Coming up, the one person who would have truly gotten Jason is gone, and the one car that is truly their bond eludes him. But for how long? Bizarrely, David and Lonnie's mother's life was safe. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. But David's wasn't. And when David lost his life, Jason, who would be born only four months later, would lose the one person in his family who would have almost certainly understood him better than anyone else. They would have gotten along great. <laughs> they would have gotten along great. He would just, he'd be so proud of Jason and... And Jason would have idolized David. Kind of sucks that the one person that I probably would have got along with really well, um, you know, I never grew up with. The rest of the family, you know, really isn't into cars and doesn't understand a lot of what I do anyway. It just, he reminds me so much of David. 
David's first words were car, car. He did it and I do it and nobody else really in the family does. Mm-hmm. So we were a lot alike, even though we were, you know, 20 years apart. So it's just, I think, I think the Roadrunner is just kind of that tie between him and I, you know, that, that uh, I think if we found the car and, and restored it and brought it back for the family as a whole, it would just kind of be that, that, that tie to the past, I guess. This is why Jason is so hell-bent on finding not just a 74 Roadrunner, but the 74 Roadrunner. Like I say, this is just not finding, you know, my Chevelle that I bought in high school. You know, it, it's it's a car that kind of links all these weird things together. And he's committed. If he finds as much as one piece of the car, he'll make it work. You know, I don't even care if I find the dash and it's the VIN. You know, if we figured out that that is the car, I'll, I'll rebuild it from a dashboard. Yeah, from I don't a dashboard. <laughs> you know, and I can build a car from the ground up, so it don't matter to me. If it's the smallest little part, I'll build a car off of that if we if we find out that is the car. So I don't care if it's been crushed. I'll straighten it out and bondo <laughs> it up, and <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But how likely is that? How likely is he to find an old Plymouth that was sold over 30 years ago? Well, there's good news and there's bad news. Let's start with the bad news. They don't have any paperwork in the car, not even the VIN. The problem is we don't have, we've got license plates from it because it was my name. It's a Jason S on the license plate. Um, but of course, there's no, the, the, the plates I still have, so they didn't go with the car when it was sold. The DMV hasn't been much help. Anything after about 12 years, they drop off the state system anyway. So we don't know the license number. We don't have a VIN. And while Jason's ads have certainly worked to some extent, that's why I got on a plane and flew out there after all, they haven't exactly solved the mystery either. I have had a couple people that have sent me cars um, saying, hey, you know, this one might be it. Or uh, I get, yeah, there was one guy saying, hey, I saw this car running around Bellingham in the late 80s and could be it. Again, it could have just been a silver car and and who knows. Um, One guy in Yakima, which is about, what, five hours from here, um, he sent me some pictures, but when I started talking to him more, it had factory AC, it had disc brakes. And, you know, I, I knew that for a fact wasn't the car. So getting some, some people, you know, they think it's a cool story and, and want to help out, but no, no lead yet anyway. He did get one lead about a roadrunner in Seattle that was promising enough to follow up on. It didn't turn out to be the car, but it was strange nonetheless. And so we were heading up to Seattle to look at this roadrunner. And my mom called and then she stopped and she says, you know what day it is? And I, at that point, I really didn't know or even think about it. She says, it's July 31st. He died 35 years ago today. And I just was heading up to look at this car. I didn't even think about it. Still, no luck yet. But now the good news. It seems like Jason searching for an exact car from decades ago that was made by one of the big three is like searching for a small needle in a very large haystack. But relative to GM and Ford, the Chrysler Corporation's production numbers were fairly low. So right there, the haystack shrinks. And if you're looking for a particular Chrysler Corp make and model, you could actually narrow it down pretty closely when you start factoring things in, like the year, the engine displacement, transmission type, and color. Jason's done some research around this. It was a 318 three-speed manual, which they only built, I think it was something like 1,500 cars that year with that combination and figuring about 16% of all 74 Roadrunners were silver and kind of based on that, there's only about 84, 85 cars that are silver with the 318 three-speed. So it's not a big 
If I can find some cars, I can whittle it down to see if that is the right car or not. Factor in even more criteria like geographic location, options, customizations, and the haystack practically vanishes. The, the, the red stripes go down the car, go up the side, and then it strobe stripes across the roof. And so he sanded the strobe stripes off, fixed the, the checking paint, repainted the roof, and left it and never put the stripes back on. You know, whoever bought it in 86, it's a silver Roadrunner with the stripes that didn't go over the roof, which was never from the factory that way. And then being a 318 three-speed with the, the moon wheels on it. And then my dad said that there was, uh, he had put a stereo in it, so he drilled two holes up through the bottom of the dash. So there's a couple unique things to that car that I think if we if we narrow it down to those 85 cars, again, it's probably not New York, it's probably not Florida. So it would be maybe... 20 cars in the Northwest California area that really we'd be actually looking at. And so now it's just a matter of someone recognizing the car and bringing it to Jason or Jason bringing himself to the car. Speaking of which, before I left, I asked Jason if there was anywhere nearby we could go look at old muscle cars. He told me there was a place called Wildcat Mopars. Surprisingly, he said he'd never been there, though he'd always wanted to go. We looked it up and discovered it was only a little more than an hour away in Sandy, Oregon. So the next day, he picked me up in his Jaguar and we headed up. Use the left lane to take a slight left turn onto Northeast Burnside Road. Coming up in the final part of this episode, we hit the road to go on a Hail Mary search for the Roadrunner, where Mopars go to die, but sometimes get resurrected. It was a long drive, so we filled the time with what else? Talking about cars. Honda Civic Type R. I'll go a little, I'll go a little more exotic. So the Aventador. Uh, Di Tommaso Pantera. The uh, Ford Flex. Phase 3 Saab Sonnet. The SSR. AMC Javelin. The new NSX. Wildcat Mopars, it turns out, is named after the mountain it sits on top of, Wildcat Mountain. And while Portland and Vancouver don't get much snow, the Cascade Mountain Range certainly does. Oh, we're just on, because it's snowed here lately and we're up in the elevation, we're literally just driving on snow and ice right now. Between the narrow, snowy roads and the obscure location that the GPS couldn't seem to figure out a way to, it was questionable that we'd even make our destination. Let's see. Proceed to the route. Um, must have been this far. Stranded with Jason Godson. Yes. Well, at least at least cars still running. That's yeah. It is a <laughs> Jaguar. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to find your location, and my GPS keeps. Uh... But after calling them for some guidance, we finally found our way. So we just pulled up, right? Yep, we're here. Got a bunch of old Dodge vans. I hope we're not looking for that. I hadn't planned on a snowy mountain hike, and my near treadless pair of canvas tigers now seemed like a bad choice for footwear. I'm definitely going to fall a few times. <laughs> How you doing? Can I make it? Hi. Yeah, finally. Didn't think anybody would be crazy enough to come up here on a snow day like this, huh? You're not the only one. Well, that's good. We said our hellos, and Jason told them why we were there. So, I've never been up here before, but we're looking for a very specific 74 Roadrunner, which I'm sure you don't know. Um, 74 what? Roadrunner. 
Um, yeah, and so, part of one out there. Part of one. Yeah, maybe we'll get lucky. One of the staff members in particular was quite helpful. I introduced myself to him. My name okay. is David, by the way. Ed. Ed? Oh, mm-hmm. It's my brother's name and my dad's name. <laughs> his name is Ed Yost, and Wildcat Mopars, this is his place. These single-level cars, you can't even see the numbers on the windshield, but uh, these are all pros. We sell them whole. Mm-hmm. Parts cars are the ones over there that are double-stacked, and the first three rows are all B-bodies. Oh, okay. So if you want to... We set out to roam the grounds. All right, cool. Well, we'll go for a walk and then come okay. see you in a bit. Okay. Thank you. It was a long shot, but maybe the 74 Roadrunner would be among the ruins of the approximately 900 Mopar stacked neatly in sections and rows across the two acres like some miniature city. Perhaps because of the quiet and the beauty of the snow, because of the alpine surroundings, maybe because we were in the presence of so much history, there was something about it that felt profound, sacrosanct. We kept an eye out for 74 Roadrunners, but mostly, we just took it all in. Oh, look at this old dart. Yeah, four doors, man. Yeah, a 70 Challenger body there. Yeah. Be pretty cool. There's a Fury sitting on top of a Fury. <laughs> yes. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, pretty crazy. We got the old Chryslers over there. Oh, yeah, a lot of interesting cars out here. We turned one corner and Jason stopped short. The body was far too damaged for me to be able to pick it out, but Jason recognized it instantly. The color wasn't a match but anyone could change the paint. Well, that looks like a factory turquoise color or something. I remembered how Mariah had just happened to help a customer who had just happened to be the man who nearly saved her husband's uncle. I remembered how David's death had been too much for his mother to bear, so she gave up on her cancer treatments, which turned out to save her life. I remembered how Jason had gone to look at a roadrunner that he thought might have been his uncle's, and that trip turned out to be on the anniversary of David's death. I even thought about how my name is David, and how the date that Jason's uncle David died is the day my son was born. How the shop owner's name is Ed, and that's my father's and brother's names too. And for a moment, there in that vast snowy automotive graveyard, I thought the universe had finally connected all the dots. And that right there, all along with approximately 899 other Mopars, we found it. But just as quickly, no, this wasn't it. Oh, 73 satellite, okay. No, the 73 Plymouth satellite Sebring body is pretty much identical to the Roadrunner. I must admit... I was a little disappointed, and I think Jason was too. But for a guy who's been so focused on finding this car, I was surprised to see that he also seemed relieved. See, you know, if I found it in this condition, I'd still buy it and restore it, but holy crap, that'd be a big job. (laughs) It's missing half of the car. Uh, I hope it didn't turn out this way, but I'd rather find it in this condition than never find it at all, you know? Yeah, I mean... Still bring it home, right? Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, I, you know, when you asked me yesterday, what would you do with it? And I just think having that, it's something, you know, the, the David thing was a whole tragedy to, to the family. And, and I think having that, because he didn't live very long, he didn't have a lot of, a lot of things, you know, you never do when you're 20. You didn't have a house you owned or, you know, motorhome or whatever. So to have that that one thing that people remember him by in the family would be pretty neat to to gift it to the family. We continued our tour of the grounds, coming no closer to finding that 74 Roadrunner than the 73 Satellite. So we returned to the shop and met back up with Ed Yost. We told him how much we enjoyed ourselves despite striking out. I asked Ed how he came to run such a unique place. Oh, for me, it was just a hobby that got out of hand. I always, you know, I did this when I was, before I was driving. So playing with um, these cars, my first 
Mopars were a 67 Coronet RT, a 69 Hemi Roadrunner, and a 63 Valiant Convertible. So <laughs> playing with those, and then I just one leads into another, and, and you're hooked, and, and you're into old cars the rest of your life, whether you want to be or not. <laughs> so it's kind of how it goes. Ed gets a lot of people like us, people coming in, looking to get that one car, looking to get parts for that one special project. I've seen a lot of customers come in and say, this is my last project, yep. <laughs> you know, and then six months later, you see you see him, they come up to the counter, hey, I'm looking for this. And I say to him, I remember when you said this was, you weren't going to do any more of them. <laughs> yeah, well, I fell into it again. I got bored and, uh, you know, it's it's in your blood. It's in your blood. I know it is with Jason and I know it is with his mother too. And it was with his uncle. Before we left, I asked Ed if he had any parting words of advice for Jason. He insisted that if the car was ever registered, and it was, more information could be found. Uh, there's ways. You can you can go back, I'm sure. I know they just got to go back in their archives to do it. But uh, if, it, if you had a car that was ever registered to you at some point in time, the information is out there. But he also could appreciate how Jason was doing it. Yeah, I don't know. In my opinion, it's fun to go to old wrecking yards and look that way, too. Yeah. But it could be... It may not have ever made it to a boneyard, but it could be in a, somebody's private collection. Somebody could have bought it and just never licensed it. It could be sitting in a barn right now or in a backyard even. So We said our goodbyes and headed back. So, Jason, I didn't really think we were going to necessarily just walk in here and find the car, but... I'm glad we didn't, because like I say, unless it was sitting along the, the, the wall there for, for uh, rebuilding... You know, it would have been just a half a car sitting out in the lot. So I'd rather I'd rather not find it in such poor shape than find it. So we're good. I mean, next next stop, you know. What is the next stop? For Jason, more posts on Craigslist asking for information about the Roadrunner, more trips to Boneyards, further calls to Oregon and Washington State DMVs. For Jason's mother, Lonnie, there's no doubt he'll find the Roadrunner, his link to the past. I know Jason. And he will do it till the day he dies. So it's a good chance, I feel, that he will find it. Even if it's in a junkyard, he will find it. Because Jason doesn't Jason doesn't stop on anything. If he's got the will, he's going to do it. And she desperately wants to see him fulfill his dreams of the future, the Godsell Manhattan. To me, that's a dream that he's always had. And I'd like to see that out of a hardworking person... That's come from just a normal mother, <laughs> a normal family, and be something. I, I, I hope I live long enough to see it. Connecting the past to the future, connecting a beloved brother with a beloved son, and seeing him succeed. That's what the search is really for. Before I say goodbye to Lonnie, I tell her I have one more question. And it's not even so much a question as I'm going to paint a scenario for you, and I just want to, <laughs> I just want to hear you react to it. All right. <laughs> so, someday soon, there's 74 Roadrunner with a 318 and three-speed <laughs> glass packs in your garage, and parked right next to it is a Manhattan. Oh wow! <laughs> I right now you're asking me that. It just brings tears to my eyes to think that everything that he's working for would be there and how proud I would be and bring back the memories of my brother and 
you know, first thing I'm going to do with that Roadrunner, <laughs> drive it on the 14 and go as fast as I can like I used to do it. <laughs> That's, that would be, um, that would be a dream. Thanks for listening to Tempest. The show is produced and written by me, David Obachowski, with editorial oversight by Kristen Lee and Patrick George. Mandana Mafidi is the executive director of audio. Music by me, David Obachowski, and my projects, Distant Correspondent and Memory Bias. This episode was mixed by Jamie Colazzo. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Panoply, NPR One, and wherever you get your podcasts. Email us at tempest at jalopnik.com. Drive safe and love your car, especially if it's a 74 Roadrunner with a 318 and a three-speed in glass packs. Though watch that noise, would you? Those things rumble. on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.